Good evening, brothers and sisters. Welcome again in the worthy name of Jesus. Do you know what you just sang tonight? Do you realize that you asked to be branded? This means yes, this means no. Do you realize you asked to be branded? Oh, it's so easy to sing songs sometimes and not realize what we're singing. The very first song we sang was, Oh, to be like thee. And it's such a song of aspiration. And the very last phrase is, Stamp thine own image deep on my heart. That's branding. That means that you're willing to be identified as a child of God this evening. Thank you, Brother Dwight, for allowing the Lord to direct you in your devotional. My soul thirsteth for thee. You ever been thirsty? Sometimes I get preaching. I get thirsty. And uh, don't worry if I get real thirsty, I'll ask for a glass of water. But there's nothing worse than being thirsty knowing there's no water available. It says... Longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where the water is. Can you imagine being thirsty and knowing there's no source to quench that thirst? You get a lot thirstier. I know, I've been there. Well, I invite you to take your song works in the Christian hymnal to our theme song, number 382. I'm pressing on the upward way. And maybe it took you a little bit off guard last night as to the temple I was going. But somehow, brothers and sisters, although we're pressing on, if we're going to sound like we're just barely able to get one foot in front of the other, I don't think there's a lot of joy in the journey, right? There needs to be a lightness to the step as we're climbing because it's God who's giving us the power. God who is ever leading us onward and upward. So once again, pay attention to the words as we sing here because somebody has said that probably more lies are said inadvertently while we sing songs. My wife has an uncle. Sometimes he doesn't sing in church. And he simply told me it's because sometimes the words aren't really where he's at at that moment. So if you're not there tonight, once again, I give you full freedom. Don't sing. But if you are endeavoring to press on, please join in. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I'm onward bound, Lord, let my feet on higher ground, Lord, lift me up and let me stand, my faith on Lord, let my feet 
verse. I want to live on the outmost high and catch a gleam of glory bright, but still a grave to end I found. Lord, lead me on to higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on really knows nothing of. I remember talking to my grandparents, talking about how difficult things were in the Great Depression. I remember my grandfather telling me that they were glad if they had lard to put on their bread for a sandwich at lunchtime. Times were tough. People went hungry, but I don't think too many people starved but they came closer than what we have. We live in a land of plenty. We live in a land that hunger means a temporary inconvenience. Our bodies tell us it's time to refuel. Oh, and our bodies wonderful things. How many people just forget to eat? Oh yeah, we all do it at times. You get wrapped up in something. But how many people go day after day after day after day and forget to eat? Nobody. Nobody. So maybe it's going to be a little bit hard for us tonight to really fully appreciate what we're going to look at, but I invite you to turn to an Old Testament prophet, Amos. And he had a message that God gave him that he had to share with God's own people. And it wasn't a beautiful picture. It wasn't pleasant. But brothers and sisters, I'm convinced as I look at the message that Amos had to give to the people then, God, if he's looking down, must surely say, this is a message for the church today as well. See if you agree with me as we go through this. Amos chapter 8. We'll read the chapter. And we'll focus in on our theme verse after we do so. Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then said the Lord unto me, the end is come upon my people Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. And the songs of the temple shall be howlings in that day, saith the Lord God. There shall be many dead bodies in every place. 
they shall cast them forth with silence. Hear this, O ye that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land do fail, saying, When will the new moon be gone that we may sell corn, and the Sabbath that we may set forth wheat, making the ephah small, and the shekel great, and falsifying the balances by deceit, that we may buy the poor for silver, and the needy for a pair of shoes, yea, and sell the refuse of the wheat? The Lord has sworn by the excellency of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their works. Shall not the land tremble for this, and everyone mourn that dwelleth therein? And it shall rise up holy as a flood, and it shall be cast out and drowned as by the flood of Egypt. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in the clear day. And I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. And I will, bring up, I will bring up sackcloth upon all loins and baldness upon every head. And I will make as the morning of an only son. And in the end thereof as a bitter day. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from the north even to the east. And they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. In that day shall the fair virgins and the young men faint for thirst. And they that swear by the sin of Samaria and say, Thy God, O Dan, liveth. And the manner of Beersheba leaveth. Even they shall fail and never rise up again. May the Lord bless this portion of his word. Verse 11. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I'm going to send a famine into the land. And it's not going to be a famine of food. It's not going to be a famine or a thirst of water. It's going to be a famine for his words. In this chapter, it's very evident that God is pronouncing judgment upon Israel. He asks Amos, what do you see? And Amos says, I see this basket of summer fruit. There it was, sitting in the basket, all ripe. Israel was ripe for judgment. God was getting tired. There were merchants who were just simply going through the motions. They were tired. They were there. They were doing it in, in physical presence. But in spirit, they were tired of it. This is, when will the Sabbath be over? When will these festivals and feasts be over so that we can get out there and we can sell the corn again? And God said that they were using small measures and exacting large sums. Making the ephah small and the shekel great and falsifying the balances. A people that was more concerned about commerce than anything else. In fact, they were so concerned about commerce, they didn't care that they were doing exactly the opposite of what God had commanded them because they were treading down the poor and the needy. And brothers and sisters, as you look at God, as you look at His mercy, as you look at His care and concern, He promises to sustain all. And it was His will that the poor 
survive. Jesus said, we'll always have the poor with us. But God cares for them. God looks after them. It says that they were, in verse, verse 6, may buy the poor for silver, the needy for a pair of shoes, yea, and sell the refuse of the wheat. What is he referring to here by the refuse of the wheat? What had God commanded his people? Back in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, here's what God commanded his children. He says, and when ye reap, the harvest of your land. Thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field. Neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of the harvest. And thou shalt not glean thy vineyard. Neither shalt thou gather every grape of the vineyard. Thou shalt leave them. For the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Children, you ever have the misfortune of being the last one to the peanut butter jar and it's almost empty. But somehow, if you get that spatula that you know is in the drawer and you dig in there and you scrape hard enough, you'll have enough for that piece of bread and you're happy, right? Well, you were pretty needy and you needed that. But the picture here is of people that had more than enough. They had consumed the jar and yet they wanted what God had said, leave for the poor and the needy. And they were taking it. They were taking it. But we're not like that, are we? No, no, we're not like that. God said, because this people disregarded him and his word, he was going to take it from them. They were going to look for it. They were going to search for it. And they were not going to be able to find it. That's scary. That's scary. Can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine if there was a spiritual famine in this world? Could you imagine what it would be like if we didn't have the Word of God available? If there were people who were desperately searching for the Word of God and couldn't find it? What would that be like? We'd probably have mentally ill people roaming the streets. We'd probably have prisons filling up and people struggling with addictions going in and out of rehab without being rehabilitated, without Christ. Diseases would spread. Things like AIDS. There would be Parents killing children. Children killing parents. Children killing children. Children who would be abandoned. There'd be same-sex marriages. There'd be more divorces than marriages. There'd be a tolerance for just shacking up for openly committing adultery and fornications. There'd be hate crimes. There'd be terror attacks. There'd be people losing their jobs, losing their home. There'd be people going hungry. There'd be elderly people that wouldn't be taken care of, that would be left to fend for themselves. 
There'd be senseless wars. There'd be all types of horrible events going on day after day after day. If we had a spiritual famine in this land, men would be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, if there was a spiritual famine. And I know what you're thinking. Brother Tom, you've purposely described the world of our day. Is it possible that there's a famine in our nation? Is it possible that there is a deliberate disregard for the Word of God out there? A nation that is willing to take the Ten Commandments and remove them from the halls of justice. A nation that is so bent on not offending anybody that they're willing to remove prayer from the schools. A nation that is taking what for generations has been held as wrong and calling it all right. Yeah, we have evidence that that is the case. And so I'm going to tell you with assurance this evening, there's a famine in the land around us. There are people who do not want to hear the word of God. And brothers and sisters, I know that this is prophetic about the children of Israel, but it's also prophetic about our nations. There is coming a time when God is going to say that's enough and there will be no more further fighting. Now why? Why? How can this be? How is it possible that there's such a famine in the nation? Surely, it's got to be better than that. Surely when we have churches spread across this great nation, churches on every corner, that there's all these Christians walking around, all these people that claim to be ambassadors for Christ that are spreading the good news. Surely there's got to be lots of food out there available for them. We can't be experiencing famine on that scale or there'd be no people hearing from God, right? And there's, 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 there's people hearing from God because there's people out there saying they're hearing from God. We have preachers telling us that God God is telling you that you can have a new home, that you can have a new car, that you can have the best of everything. All you simply have to do is give generously to Him and His work, and they say that all these things will be added on to you. And then they look at the physical prosperity that we have, and they say, see, we've got God's blessing. God is raining down His blessings upon us. We've got faith healers that tell you all you have to do is believe and you will be healed. And if you're not healed, it's not because God decided in His perfect will for your life that you needed to go through that valley. You didn't have enough faith. Your faith was weak. 
We got prophets that say, send us money and we will send a word of prophecy to you. Oh, I know. We don't come that close to them in our circles. But believe me, these people are out there. They're rampant and they're thriving. And mainstream Christianity, if I dare to call it that, has a famine for the word as well. Because what they've got isn't truth. And there's a reason why they don't have truth. How did famine get into mainstream Christianity? You look in the scriptures and you will see all kinds of warning. Second Timothy, Paul writes to young Timothy and he tells him, you know, don't let people despise you because you're young. You're going to have to preach truth. In chapter 4, verses 1 to 4, he says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead that is appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. That's what Paul said to Timothy. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Let me tell you something. Is that really what you want tonight? Do you want to be reproved? Do you want to be exhorted? Do you want to be rebuked? No, I like to believe what I've got is right. I've got truth. I don't need that. And if that's where I'm at, I fall into this next category. Verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Why is it that people get something false instead of truth? Because that's what they want. That's what they want. That's what they're satisfied with. It doesn't surprise me at all today that preachers are willing to maintain popularity and a large salary in a mega church than step on people's toes and say what is truly the Word of God. Think about it. Our Anabaptist circles are kind of unique. We believe of ordaining from within. We believe in unsalaried ministry. We believe that a preacher has full freedom to study the Word of God and get up and preach it, and that you all have a responsibility to look in the Word of God and see if what we're saying is true. That's the way it lies. Not that I'm a gifted orator, that somehow I can mesmerize you. And then there are so many people, let, let me say this clearly too, there are a lot of churches where there are preachers who get up and say truth. But they can decode it. They make it so easy to swallow that people go, they listen, they hear, they think they've been fed, all they've got is a sugar-coated pill, and they go back out, and I'm going to tell you something, it did not change them because it did not feed them. And they go back out into the world, and they live exactly like the rest of the world. But somehow, they think because they hurt truth, that they've got truth. Not so. Once again, it is not in the knowing 
this evening, brothers and sisters. It's in the doing. It's important to know so we can do, but it's more important that we do what we know to be true. Exchanging the truth for a lie. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. The warning there. Because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this God, God shall for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Okay. Surely I'm overstating this. As I studied this, as I looked at this, I thought, surely this can't be the case. But brothers and sisters, I've got to ask you, why is it that churches, quite, off, quite often after sitting down, lengthy and great debate, decide to drop doctrine? They sit there and they study it from every angle and they go back into the original words and they look at different translations and, and, and the, more, the more they look, the more they muddy the waters, the less clarity there is. And eventually, eventually they get it twisted around to where they want it. God says, what he's joined together, let not man put asunder. And yet man somehow, and this is in churches, believes that it's okay to have divorce. And not only divorce, but to have remarriage. And you can still be a child of God and follow truth. Did that just happen overnight? Oh no, 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 hold up. There's a progression here. What happened before that? Churches sat down. They looked at the headship they they said, oh, well, huh. Obviously, this is something that applied to the Corinthian church. Paul was speaking to a specific people at a specific time. And it was meant for them specifically. And yet they're willingly eager to the fact that for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, the church practiced it after. Look at history. Look at history. Why is it? There's a danger when you and I cannot simply accept the word of truth as it is in the Bible. I believe the scripture is plain enough that children can understand it. I believe our understanding grows as we get into the Word of God and we read it and we get a rounder picture and all these things come together. But let me tell you, there's a warning in 2 Peter. It talks about men who are saying, God is just, He's never come. We've never seen Him. They're willingly ignorant of the fact that He destroyed the world by the flood. And God says that He's going to come as a thief in the night because they're not prepared, they're not watching, they're not waiting. And then He says, He says, you know what? Brother Paul wrote some pretty hard things in his letters to the churches. In which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, 
unto their own destruction. Now, where is the irony here? It's the fact that he calls them unlearned and unstable. But you know who it really is? <laughs> it's the people who have gone to school and gotten an education. Because they now figure that they're smart enough that they can figure all this out. Thank you, brother. There's a school of thought, and it's not far from our own circles, that says in order to preach, you need some teaching and training. You need to learn how. And let me tell you something. When I was ordained, there was no instruction manual that came. And yes, I have learned a lot of things in a relatively short period of time. But let me tell you something. When the preacher becomes the self-sufficient know-it-all in a church, what happens? What happens? It removes responsibility from the congregation. First of all, to support, to be there, using their gifts, and also to know what the Word of God says so that they can challenge. And brothers and sisters, I want to tell you something. I probably didn't mention this yet. If I say anything at all during this week that you think is falsehood, I want you to tell me. I want to be totally approachable. I do not want to be promoting error. But are you willing to do that? Are you willing to dig and to see what is truly there? Do you know how many of our universities, institutions of higher learning, colleges, were started by churches as places of training for men in the Word of God? I should have refreshed my memory here on this. There are some very big names like Harvard and Yale that started out on that track. And where are they today? You know, I read something one time. I was looking at a, at a handbook that one of these universities was putting out there. And it said there that we don't want to tell people what to believe. What we want to do is encourage the inquiring mind. We want you to come. We want you to learn. We want you to discover Nonsense! This is a university that produces doctors. So you train them for six, eight years, whatever it takes to get into their specialty. And there they are in the operating floor. And they're performing a brain surgery. And they said, well, the book says we should do it this way, but you know what? I'm going to try it this way. No. There are absolutes and there are truths. What they said there is true in one aspect. Higher learning, higher education puffs up and makes me think that somehow I know better than God. And I am willing. <laughs> Let me read some verses to you. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 18 to 20. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. One thing God cannot abide, brothers and sisters, that's pride. When we start to lift ourselves up. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 19 and 21. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. 
Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Preaching what? The word of God. That's all he needs. That's all he wants. Preaching his word. There's a famine in our nation. There's a famine in Christianity in general. And brothers and sisters, I'm very concerned this evening that it's easy for us to sit here comfortably up to this point, nodding our heads and agreeing and saying we are not there. But I ask you, can we go deeper? We're starting out on a wide level. We're narrowing it in. What is the nation comprised of? Something the devil's trying to destroy rapidly. And that's homes. Is it possible that there's a famine for the word of God in our homes? And here's where I want to quit preaching. Is my time up? I, I don't want to get practical tonight. I'll tell you why. It's not because I'm afraid of stepping on your toes, okay? It's because as I studied the word of God this afternoon, as I looked at this, my own toes got stepped on. So I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, I'm here before you asking, just listen to what I share from the heart. It used to be said that a family that prays together stays together. I think somehow along the line, we've decided that a family that plays together is going to stay together. It used to be, and I, I fairly acknowledge this bent. Why is it that there is a huge push for entertainment in the world today? Why is it that family vacation has become something that means I take my family and I leave my home setting and all fellow believers and I go out here and I experience something new and exciting and there's a lot of things out there to experience, believe me. There's a lot of wonderful things out there. And yet, we look right in our own circles. We look at our, our Midwest summer meetings. We look at the Berean meetings. We look at the international meetings. These are all meetings that families used to go to as vacations. Mom and dad would pack up the family and they'd go and they'd meet other friends and they'd mingle and oh, children don't want to do that anymore. That's not exciting. That's not fun. And I can tell you with certainty all of these are struggling with declining attendances. And I want to tell you why. It's because we're more interested in amusement than we are in the hunger for God's word. Going to church can be kind of dry and boring if you're not getting anything out of it. Why do I believe we have a hunger for the word of God in our families? All I have to do is look at my own home and see how hard it is to have a family altar. A time set aside where the children know that this is when we're going to put aside the cares of the world. We're not going to answer the phone if it rings. We're going to spend time in the Word of God. We're going to pray. And brothers and sisters, this is such a remarkable tool that God has put there for us to use. And the devil doesn't want us to have it. We live in such a fast-paced society. Some days I go out the door before my children are up and I come home after they're in bed. 
Where's time for a family altar there? Isn't there? Isn't But I tell myself, that's okay. The Lord knows tomorrow we will do better. And then before you know it, a week has gone by. Or maybe, heaven forbid, even a month. And we think, oh, how do we let that slip? <laughs> and then we get right back into it again. And brothers and sisters, I want to tell you something here. I'll tell you how it can become ineffectual. If it becomes a religious right that we need to do, I'm sure a lot of us can identify with this, you know. The day wasn't complete unless we had family worship. Oh, that's not going to be effective worship. It has to be something that the family can get into and appreciate. I'm even going to say enjoy. That means it changes as you go through raising a family. When your children are young, there's no sense having a deep theological debate that you're going to have later on in years with your teenagers. And don't expect those teenagers to want to come to you and find out what God's Word has to say about something if you didn't start that pattern when they were younger. You have to keep it on a level that the family can, can enjoy. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. God was giving His law to the children of Israel. And in Deuteronomy 6, starting at verse 1, it says, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that ye might do them in the land, whether ye go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's sons, all the days of thy life, and that thy days might be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Verse 7, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. <laughs> that encompasses the whole day. That becomes a walk of life. How many times am I missing teaching opportunities throughout the day? And I'm saying, okay, there's more to it than just having a family altar. There has to be a deliberate teaching Attempt as we go about our daily walk of lives. Sitting down, in the wayside, going to bed, getting up. Maybe, maybe the root cause of the famine lies even deeper. I want to ask you a question. When a baby is born, what does it do when it gets hungry? It cries. In fact, early on when we had children, I learned that a baby basically cries for three reasons. Yeah, they might cry if a stranger goes boo in their face, but basically they cry when they're hungry, when they need to be burped, or when they need something done with the diaper. And I want to tell you, all of those three reflect directly on eating. Eating and digesting. Now, 
you remember when you got saved? When you were a babe in Christ? We're newborns. And there's this feeding pattern that needs to get established. In 1 Peter 2, 2, it tells us as newborn babes, desire, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Do you realize how important it is that we grow and continue growing and continue growing? We'll never... And yet, how is it... How is it that when it comes to the source of food, the Word of God, that in my daily walk of life, I can go in and out of it, in and out of it, in and out of it. It was referred to as a gold mine the other evening here. And I never stop and get a nugget to take out with me. Have you ever picked up your Bible and read it and put it down and five minutes later you have no clue what you read? Or am I the only person on earth that ever does that? Brothers and sisters, we don't have a hunger for the Word of God the way we should. What we need to do is get into the Word of God and allow it to soak into our beings and get to the point where it speaks to us. Because when it speaks to us, it becomes living. It becomes alive. It becomes, I'm going to use the word, fascinating. We need to chew on it. We need to swallow it. We need to digest it. We need to get so deep into the Word of God that... I asked you, does God speak to you? I have gone through periods of drought in my life. There have been times when I confess to you have gone through the motions. And there have been other times when God has been so real and alive, I've actually been able to feel Him telling me what to do. I wanted to buy a car a little while ago. I found the car that I wanted. And you know the funny thing is? I heard God clearly telling me I could not buy it. I had a choice at that point. I could have went ahead and bought it anyhow. I've done that often enough to my shame and I realize that that pathway isn't the one I want to go down. So I listened. I listened to God. Shortly thereafter, and I'd spent a lot of time looking for the perfect car, okay? Shortly thereafter, we were on our way to the city for something else, me and a co-worker, and I happened to be doing a little bit of research on the laptop, and there came a car. I couldn't believe the price of it. It wasn't what I wanted, but it was something similar. It was a lot plainer. It was about half the cost. And lo and behold, I looked, guys, this has got to be a misprint. We were within five miles of the dealership when I found it. We pulled off the highway, went into that dealership, saw the sticker in the window. Ah, oh, it is false on the, on the net. It's quite a bit higher. So I went in and I talked to the salesman. And I said, now I'd be interested in that car out there if it's the price that you've got it listed for here online. 
They looked, he said, I don't know anything about that. Went into the manager's office, lo and behold, the manager had done it without telling the salesman. The car is now in my driveway. And I believe God led me to it. It was just that simple, trusting him for those decisions. God will speak to you about decisions in life. And when he does in some of these smaller things, it's a whole lot easier to trust the big things to him in business. Recently, we wanted to diversify. I was spending a lot of time over the course of over two years anticipating this. Six weeks ago, I know God closed the door. I don't know why. I don't know why. To me, it makes sense. But brothers and sisters, I am convinced that God's way for my life is the only way. God will speak to you. I can tell you because I've experienced it myself. And what is really scary is that the more I listen, the closer I get to him, the clearer his speaking becomes. But I want to tell you what it takes. It takes being willing to get still and quiet before him. It means that I'm going to get into his word in a way that the world cannot intrude upon me and I'm going to let Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 it says the word of God you know this verse off by heart it's quick and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing of sunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints of marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart let me tell you what this means it means that if I go into the word of God not knowing where my heart truly is, God reveals it in His Word. It's a wonderful thing. Oh yes, it can be frightening because it means it means that I have to submit. Not 90%, not 95%, not 98%. How many of us would be content if we had a spouse The 51 weeks out of the year was faithful to us, but one week wanted to do whatever they wanted to do and was off. You see the total absurdity of that. We would never begin to accept that. It doesn't work that way with God either. Psalm 46.10, it tells us we need to be still and know that I am God. Isaiah 30, verse 15. Thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning... And rest shall you be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. I'm not painting a picture tonight that's unrealistic. I'm not painting a picture that's out of reach for anyone. The famous words in Isaiah 55. Ho everyone that thirsteth. Come ye to the waters. He that hath no money. Come ye Buy and eat, ye come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why are you spending your money on things that do not satisfy when you don't need money to get the things that do? Do you want to be truly satisfied? The world spends all kinds of money and time on things that don't satisfy them. You get a bit of a thrill... But this is law of diminishing returns. You've got to go back and you've got to get a bigger thrill and a bigger thrill. Everything they do 
is temporary. It passes. And after it passes, it leaves you feeling hollow and empty and depressed and sad. You know what Jesus said? He said, Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Filled. Satisfying that hunger. And once again, it's been a hard day at work, and I come home, and I put up my feet, and the paper's there, the latest industry magazine is there, and yet my Bible's there too. Which one do I find? Easiest to pick up. We all live with the pressures of day-to-day life. It's real for all of us. And I'm not saying that that's the only thing in life we can read, brothers and sisters, but what I'm trying to ask you tonight, if you honestly evaluate how much time you spend hungering and thirsting after God and His Word, and how much time we spend seeking after the fulfillment of the things that the world offers, which way does the scale go? Which way does the balance tip? A few years ago, Back home, there was a man who was running a snowmobile trail groomer. Sledding's a big industry for tourism over there. And they'll go out at night with these groomers and they smooth the trails out when there's no traffic on the trails because the groomers are full width, they go slow. It was early in the season. The lakes didn't have thick ice on them yet. It was a very clear, very cold night. For some reason, this man, although they weren't supposed to, he took the groomer down out onto the lake. And he broke through. He managed to get out of the groomer. But in doing so, he got soaking wet. He managed to get back to shore. He was within half a mile of the Trans-Canada Highway. And he started heading for it. They found that man. The next morning, frozen stiff, within sight of that highway. Within sight of cars going by with lights on, with people in them, with warmth and heat that would have sustained his life. And it seemed such a terrible tragedy at the time. Oh, so close. But he perished. We can see, we can understand that so clearly. The dreadful irony of the situation. But can we see a similar situation as clearly? Can you see souls that are slowly starving themselves to death, all the while with an easy reach of a loaded banquet table that would take care of all their needs? You know, The enemy doesn't mind us sitting around talking about the famine in the land. He doesn't mind us talking about the evil all around. 
He doesn't even care if we're talking about the famine out there in mainstream Christianity. Talking about those that are obviously off track and backslidden. Because talking has no power. It does no good. What the enemy doesn't want you to do this evening, brothers and sisters, is look in the mirror of God's word and see yourself the way God sees us. He doesn't want us to get into God's word, to put on that full armor of God and to go out there and oppose him in a very real way. God promised, 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, I know that verse. I've read that verse many times. But somehow that healing of the land has kind of escaped me to this point. Somehow God is saying that brothers and sisters is a responsibility on us as his people to get into the position where we can go out there and proclaim the famine that's out there in that land. And we can't do it as long as we're suffering from a famine from within. God's interested this evening in those that are willing to take a stand for him. Those who are willing to be a vessel to be used to carry his food to the hungry and the needy around us. He wants us out there as his people glorifying him, standing in the gap, standing on his word, being a beacon of light to those that are searching. But we can't do it. As long as we have a famine. In our own souls. Are we willing to be those people? Are we willing to. Let God reveal to us. Where we're truly at. I invite you to bow your heads for a word of prayer. Lord, we're here again at the close of this service. Father, we've looked into your word. Lord, we've seen the judgment you pronounced upon your children of Israel of the famine that they were going through. And Lord, this evening we acknowledge it's easy to admit that there's a famine. Out in our nation, there's a famine. In a lot of churches, Father, it gets harder when it comes to seeing the famine we may be experiencing personally. Yet, Lord, we promised the start of this week to allow your spirit to move freely through us. And Lord, as we're here this evening, Please, by the power of your Spirit, reveal to us where we're at. Lord, where your word has brought conviction, where your Spirit is speaking, help us to be willing to make positive changes, Lord, to confess our area of need, to be able to grow 
to be able to get into your word, Lord, to be able to feed upon it, to be able to satisfy our soul with good things. Father, we thank you for the provisions that you've made for us through Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. I'm not going to ask for an invitation this evening. I'm just simply going to open it here briefly for you to testify. If the Word of God has spoken to you this evening, you're free to share.